Hello, and welcome to The Premise. I'm Jennifer Thompson. Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview that I conducted with an author who was brought to us via Zoom from Warwick's Books in La Jolla. Enjoy. talk about the editor if we can. Th- this book is so beautiful. I'm, a, I'm an aspiring writer myself, and I felt like this book was written for aspiring writers. I mean, the whole time, I like, there's this moment where James, our character, he's chugging coffee, and he's trying to write the perfect ending, and there's so much I have so much empathy for him. My heart is pounding. Like literally my, my hands are like sweaty feeling like these feelings of it that he has trying to get the right ending, you know, and like the whole experience of what it's like to be in the publishing industry, what it's like to work with an editor and your agent. I love the agent in this book. <laughs> He's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about, you know, your impetus, the impetus or your inspiration for, for bringing this book to us. Sure. Well, to talk about uh, the sort of genesis of the editor, I'm going to backtrack for a second and cool. uh, to my first novel, Lily and the Octopus, which was a very a deeply autobiographical uh, novel uh, mm. that I wrote as uh, at, at a time when I was grieving and I wrote, I did sort of what writers tend to do, which is sit down and try to write ourselves out of a situation, mm. uh, write to understand. And... Uh, I just, because that was my only mission at the time, I never thought that it would be published, let alone that it would be translated in 19 languages. 19 languages? Or or that, uh, you know, there's a movie in development now and, you know, sort of all this craziness that I never could have dreamed of, um, which is good because if I had, I don't know that I could have written as honestly uh, as I did or or touched people um, in the way that the book seems seems to do. Um, So, but when it came time to a follow-up, I wanted to write sort of about the experience of what happened to me, which is uh, a, a writer armed with a candidly autobiographical novel, in this case, uh, about his mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, I did. there was a mother in Lily and the Octopus, and, and while I changed the other names, uh, somehow readers cracked that code. You know, it's just <laughs> difficult to change mom to, <laughs> to uh, you know, disguise the identity. Uh, but uh, anyhow, I wanted to write about, about a writer writing something deeply personal and how that experience sort of snowballed beyond his control. And in this case, I thought, well, what if his editor were uh, the most famous editor um, in publishing? And, and, and more than that, one of the most famous women in the world, and that's Jacqueline yeah. Onassis. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't remember, Jackie had a 15-year career in publishing after the death of her second husband, and and it was a really interesting time in her life. I think she'd sublimated so much of her own personal um, uh, identity to these two marriages, and and uh, once she was out of her second marriage, she really put her head down and went to work um, and had this extraordinary career where she edited more than a hundred titles. So so the book is sort of a, a unexpected friendship with a young young writer and uh, and Jackie O. And she's just such, you know, both of these books involve a really powerful female character that helps this young man kind of find himself, really. I mean, in both situations, I felt like they were very similar in, in, in that way. You know, there's two young men. Um, they're both gay. You know, they both have difficult fathers. They're both trying to find their way in the world not even feeling like maybe they're accepting themselves. And these two really powerful, iconic figures help them find themselves. And it's, it's a beautiful path. Now, 
we just heard from you, Stephen, you know, why you wrote this book. And I'm not surprised. It felt so real. I thought this has got to be some autobiographical. I just, this feels so real to me. And I, I just kept wondering, did this happen? Like, is, is this part of your life, right? You pull me aside and say, what was Jackie really like? And I have to, well, now those two well, yeah. of <laughs> a novel, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she, she passed away in 1994 and, and sadly our paths never, never crossed, but I had a very supportive publisher um, and an editor, um, the great Sally Kim at Putnam, um, who's my editor, who, who put me in touch with um, some people that some of her former coworkers, um, I was able to talk to a writer who, who was edited by, by Jackie. Mm, and, uh, I was going to ask you about that. Research. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, it, was, it was really interesting, but it's a, you know, and then I, I read some of the books that she edited at the time that this book takes place. And there are a couple really terrific nonfiction books about her time in publishing, but this was a very mm-hmm. private time in her life. So no matter all, you know, no matter how much research I did, there's, you know, a certain, there's a certain element of it that is my interpretation of of these facts or these experiences. And um, I just hope that it, that it rings authentic for readers. Oh my gosh. So authentic. I mean, I really, if you, I mean, obviously the time didn't mesh. So I figured you hadn't worked with her, (laughs) but I just kept feeling like he must've read so much or talked to authors. It just feels so authentic. Um, Lovely. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. It's important to get it right. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, and when you're writing about it, such an iconic figure. And, you know, I had no idea that um, Jacqueline Onassis was an editor. I had, so now, of course, and thank you, because in your acknowledgements, you do mention a couple books. If we want to learn more about her, we can go read those. So I really appreciated that. And I will. Um, you learn things in the acknowledgements. You totally do. Don't ever skip the, your dessert, folks. You got to read those acknowledgements. A star is bored. First. What's that? Sometimes I have dessert first. You know, some people do, and that's okay. I'm not judging you. There are no rules. No rules. (laughs) A Star is Bored. This book had me laughing, like out loud, where people in the house were like, what is she laughing at? I'm like, this book is so funny. But then all of a sudden, I'm like sobbing. Well, not sobbing, but I'm like, it's it's so good. It's so rich. It's so raw. And there's these moments where I just love this character so much. And I just want to wrap my arms around him and take care of him. You know what I mean? And but but he's funny, but he he, he hides that wit like he it's all sort of inner dialogue. And by the way, Stephen, you do the same thing. A lot of great inner dialogue with both of these characters where we get we get to know them, but the people around them kind of have to wait right, to, to, for their characters to come out. And I think that's part of it, is these powerful women help kind of draw the characters of these two, these two men, right? But I, I have a, a, an odd question. Byron, t- talk to me about the significance of the number three in this book. Well, all I can, uh, all I can think is that, uh, you know, there's the, the rule of three situation in writing that's talked about a lot, uh, and uh, when I'm reading, things I like to read often involve the same kind of patterns and rhythm and uh, yeah. books I like to read feel like you're on a train and it's moving and you're getting lots of information quickly and efficiently. And so for me, that's kind of where the, uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's how that bled into, into what I was writing. Okay, so 
We're not going to give it away, I guess. Uh, we're not going to give away what the heck I'm really talking about. You're going to have to read it to know what I'm talking about. But I did. I noticed this pattern and it really had this lovely rhythm. And now that you talk about being on a train, I get that. You know, that feeling like you're you're moving along. That makes a lot of sense. But you did some really playful things with with three you know, the way, I won't even say anymore. People just have to read it. But I noticed and I appreciated it very much. The one thing I, <laughs> thank you. The one thing I really loved though is just the humor and just the ridiculousness of some of these situations that our character is in. And I kept asking myself how much of this is based on things that you've experienced, maybe not necessarily with your time with Carrie Fisher, but like just being an assistant to someone who's really famous and bipolar. And I think someone that famous is, you know, disconnected from the life that, you know, I live, I live, I don't know about you. (laughs) So how much of this was based on things that have really happened? So there are some broad strokes that really happened. So Carrie and I did uh, like travel to see the Aurora Borealis, for example, and we, uh, we did go to Japan together, um, but, but the details are all full of imagination. And so it's inspired by some real life and there's some whispers of real life, but it really is fiction. And, uh, and so much of it is just heightened. And, you know, Carrie liked to write that style also, take, take real life and, and twist it into something uh, fictionalized and exciting. And you can add more humor and you can take more liberties. And those are also the books that I like to read. Um, so it was yeah. just a natural fit to take some some real life experiences and, and turn them into some some great fiction. Well, this character really has this lovely journey. You know, in the beginning of his life is just utter shit. I mean, if we're really gonna like, you know what I mean? Like he's just not doing great. Like he doesn't like his job, his cars. It runs. It runs on a good day, on a good day. Right. You know, he's just like, everything feels like it's falling apart. You know, he's had some extreme loss in his life and, you know, he's had a difficult father and, you know, he's this young man who's trying to make it in life. And his journey is so beautiful. My, I think also one of my favorite things about both of these books is they're coming of age, you know, young gay men with difficult fathers and they both find the perfect love in the end of this book, right? So I just fell in love with Daniel in the editor and I, and I, and I totally, and I fell in love with Reed in A Star is Bored. And I thought, okay, how much of these amazing characters were based on each other? Well, I'll say for Reed, um, Reed is, is lots of imagination, but mm-hmm. he, um, the bones remind me of Steve. So Reed is a, a loving and caring and thoughtful person. And there's actually a line in the book that is something that I know <laughs> that Steve actually said to me once. Um, I was having a long day. I think I was working for Carrie at the time. And uh, I just needed to just stay home and, and eat ice cream for dinner and watch Battlestar Galactica or something. And but we had a date. And so I called her and I was like, sorry. I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. And I was just being honest and vulnerable. And I hadn't done that in previous relationships. Previously, I would have just forced myself out. And he said to me, um, hey, look, I'm here to make your life better, not more stressful. So we'll just hang out another day. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. I was like, come over right now. Like, that is like, I love you. Yeah. Um, I don't say that now and it's like your turn to take the garbage out or something. But. Yeah. <laughs> we could go back a little. Yeah. Right, right. Those are the early days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And D- Daniel is, uh, well, he's the, the kind of a hot 
Brazilian. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I was, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Fiery Latin, but, uh, maybe there's uh, maybe there's uh, there's a stability there and um, a dependability mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, and a calmness that uh, I think uh, inspired by Byron. I would rather be hot, <laughs> but that's okay. I'll t it's very sweet. I'll take it. I think you are hot. <laughs> Thanks, baby. I do too, for the record. Aww. I think you both are. I think you're fabulous, both of you. Okay. You know, how much of, of writing these books was you know, your intention to provide something for gay men who may be in a similar situation who are trying to find themselves. I mean, did either of you, you know, write this book for your younger selves? Um, I, I enjoyed writing a book that was not, um, that had a gay character, but it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't centered around his life being gay. He was just a gay man who happened to have these experiences and, <laughs> Uh, again, I talk. I feel like I've been talking a lot about books that I like to read, and and those are those are books I like to read too that aren't um, that are just a lot like my real life. Like I'm just a gay man doing my thing, going to a job, going to the grocery, and uh, so there was there was a part of me that uh, that felt like that was important, and then that was mm -hmm. a, that was something to stake in in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in. the The, the editor takes place in the very early 1990s. Um, and so that was a lifetime ago in terms of, of uh, what life was like for gay men in America. You know, more people were dying of AIDS in the early 1990s than in the 1980s. Um, you know, gay marriage was not something anyone thought would be something they'd see in their, their lifetime back then. It just, it, you know, it, it, we've evolved so rapidly on, on some of these issues. So, you know, and I also came out in the early 1990s myself. Mm -hmm. So when writing about that time, um, it's very easy to, to think that I was writing that for my, for my younger self, because I was very vulnerable. And I'm also of an age now where the generation above me is largely missing. You know, I didn't have the role models that other um, people coming out today hopefully uh, have. You know, one visibility in the media wasn't the same, but two, it's like because of a because of you know a horrible uh, virus, you know, a, a generation was was gone, was missing. You know, it was yeah. ghosts, and um, yeah. so I did, you know, not purposely try to write something um, for younger gay men but uh, but also it's hard not to because that was those were voices that were robbed from me and um, sure if someone younger picks up my book now and connects with it that's that's really wonderful i was also proud to to do something that has captures the honesty of uh like charlie takes uh doesn't take his sexual uh health seriously uh, mm -hmm. book and that's an that's an honest uh, part of life for many people and and then for him to date and see how there's some disappointments and there are some mm -hmm. joy um, all of that felt important to me to just be honest and uh, and and real so I hope that that all serves you know. Byron, I really pr appreciated that, you know, he, he didn't just find a guy and all of a sudden life was perfect. Like he, he did have to go through what we all go through when we're looking for that perfect person in our life. And, and I appreciated that, that, you know, he went through that journey and I, and I took that journey with him. Um, I think everyone can relate to it, whether it doesn't matter what sex you are, right? You know, finding the love of your life and finding that person that, you know, is, is your person. Um, and both of these characters find their person and it's, it's part of the heartwarming journey, for, you know, for both of them. 
I want to talk about your writing habits. So both of you are writers. And I'm just curious what a day looks like in your house where, you know, you both write. Like I sort of imagine, you know, you come together at the end of the night with with what you've written and you share, you know, or, you know, do you help each other along? You know, it's like, it's such a solitary experience being a writer, but, you know, t- tell us about how that works for you. Well, for me, it starts early. So I get up like around six or so and Tilda and I, our dog, we go outside <laughs> and, uh, and then it, then I, then I'll, sometimes I start right, right away. Like if I have an idea, if I have something I want to dive into, I'll start writing and then Steve gets up and then we'll have coffee and check our phones. And, uh, and Steve is really, I think you're a bit more disciplined than me. He'll, he'll go into the back room and, and he'll be gone for hours and hours. And the, the uh, back room, not the bathroom. Uh, yeah. The back. <laughs> my Either way. I yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, the, the, the main benefit for me, I think, you know, some people say like, oh, it must, I, I could never date another writer. But what's beneficial to me is that sometimes, you know, it's a very solitary job. It's also a very sort of like internal job, you know, and yeah. you know, your brain doesn't necessarily stop uh, come quitting time. There's a lot of writing that's I'm done. Yeah, we have a, a little dog that's stuck. <laughs> oh, I was wondering. I'm like, you're getting shaky. <laughs> uh, uh, she's stuck under the, under the lights. Uh, here she is. Hi, Tilda. Oh my well, God, she's adorable. Yeah. Um, so what? It's really great to have a partner who understands that sometimes, like, I'm not ready to just to just shut it off and and sit there and talk at dinner, or you know, I'm still thinking, I'm still working some stuff, and, so, and sometimes you are not good company. But it's some. It's nice to have someone who understands the process mm. Uh, mm. and that and did not take it personally when I'm like, no, 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 I'm still in it. I'm still figuring yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's a really good point. I imagine you have to give each other a little more space than maybe you normally would, you know, if you had different jobs. Yeah. But, yeah. If you, if someone was coming home at, 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 you know, at the end of the day and was ready to, you know, and their work was at the office and clearly left behind, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a, kind of a different lifestyle and it's, 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 you know, there's, there's other days too, where I, you know, we have to deal with sometimes I mean a good career moment or, or a not great career moment. And, you know, I'm sure there's, some jealousies and some, you know, there's other things to navigate. Um, totally. But, um, uh, but, but I find it beneficial more than. Yeah, I, I love reading his work. I love it when he reads my work and I always trust his opinion. Um, mm. so we share a lot. I know exactly what he means when he's like, I've had a great writing day. Um, sometimes I'll go back there to ask him a question about like the visa bill and I'll be like, read me a sentence. I'll be like, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little like, bit yeah. The so hand. It's, it's really been nice. It's really nice. Well, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Do you do you both write consistently every day? Yeah, I, I try. I try to 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 do something every day. Now, for me, sometimes that writing is uh, thinking. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, it means walking around the block and trying to figure out uh, what this character is about or what the scene is about. Um, so sometimes it's going to the grocery store and observing like weird people. Um, so I give myself writing credit for all that. <laughs> so it, for me, it doesn't always have to be sitting in front of the laptop, but, mm-hmm. um, but I do try to, to knock out some things every day. Uh, you're, you're kind I of work, consistent. Well, I work in spurts. I think, you know, I'll have like 10 solid days in a row, like go, 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 go. And then I come up for air, you know, mm. and it'd be five days where I don't write. Mm-hmm. 
It depends. So, Byron, when did you know that you were going to write this book? Like, when did you decide, I need to write a story about this world? Well, it was uh, since it was inspired by my time with Carrie Fisher, it really, it really came to me after she passed away. I mm. posted a little tribute on Facebook with some photos of us and, uh, and just a little bit about our adventures together and how much she meant to me. And mm. uh, there was a, a big reaction. People, people appreciated it and wanted to hear more. And so I, I just started. I started from the beginning mm. uh, about this guy at the, at the gates to this uh, celebrity's mansion. And uh, I was really lucky because it, uh, it just flowed and flowed and flowed and it felt right. And uh, it really does feel like suddenly I, I had something. And so, so it really started there. Awesome. Well, I wonder, you know, did you ever think that maybe this is a memoir? Like what made you decide to write a novel, make it fiction? It was just more fun to write fiction. It's what I, it's what I like to read. It's, mm-hmm. it's the way Carrie used to write. I can take mm-hmm. creative liberties. Um, and another thing is my, my time with Carrie was, uh, it was so meaningful. It was so fun. Um, and I can say there really wasn't drama and, uh, and you do need some, um, you need that for a good book. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't, I can't point to my, my real experiences with Carrie and say, Oh, this was, you know, but I can, I can put that on the pages of a, of a fictionalized story. And, and, uh, and so that's part of the, that's part of the charm of writing. Yeah. Fiction. I think it's because that's the way that she used to write that it's the lovely tribute. What was her question? Oh yeah. She used to say, uh, take your broken heart and go make art. So she Beautiful. really was an advocate of, uh, of take it and put it on paper, take it, make a film, uh, get it out there. Mm, absolutely. That's a wonderful quote. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they always say that, you know, the, the, the best part, you know, the wound, that's where, that's where the gold comes from, right? That's what my writing coach, Marnie Friedman, always tells me. Oh, I love that. I think yeah. it's true too, don't you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the editor, let's talk about the pacing of these two books. So I feel like, and I wonder if this matches your personalities. I'm curious. I I felt like the editor was really, it was very consistently smooth. And I'm like, the the pacing was just this perfect flow, right? And Star's Board were immediately rushing. And then that, you know, the threes, you know, the, the, as you're, you're reminding me of something, um, I wonder if I, if I should read some examples, actually, to, to tell our readers. Yeah, if, you can, if, you can, if you can find them, I will say that, that that reflects the women at the heart of these books, you know. Yes. Not this very totally. polished, very yeah. smooth. You That's know? it, very her polished and smooth. Would necessarily work in a book about her um, yeah. in the same way. But Carrie, a little more raw. Uh, nerve mm-hmm. out there, uh, you know, holds nothing back. So I yeah. think the reflective of the women at their heart. Yeah, and I think I think us a little bit. That's a yeah. That's, that's probably a us fair too. point. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's one that I love. This is where my writing background comes in handy. This is where certain policies become clear. This is where the first of my celebrity assistant rules are written in a Google Doc. And it's like you use the same beginning to every sentence in threes and you do it throughout the book so consistently that at one point I stopped and I, I started writing them all down. I was like, oh, I see what's happening here. <laughs> I can't say these words on this page, 
but I will tell you they're really good. But you do it and it them. comes out like poetry. I do it and it feels like, oh, I didn't have a good writing day. I was just watching my word count that day. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another one. The headline will read lamb. The head headline will read amateur. The headline will read failure. So many moments like that where it's like so heart, there's so much heart in it. And I think that like the, the, the repetitive of the threes, you know, really brings that home in a way that does have that pacing, you know, where we're, our motion isn't smooth. We're not sailing. We're sort of running uphill like, oh my gosh, right? From the very moment where you hear hurry and this character starts hurrying and he's hurrying to find whatever it is looking for. He does find it, um, which I, I love. Can you both of you talk about um, maybe your phone, your favorite moment in the book or the moment where you were like, oh, my God, this is it. I've, this is great. I've got it. Wow. Byron. Um, so for me, I think it's the scene where um, Charlie and Kathy go to see the Northern Lights. Um, and that that was inspired by real life. Carrie used to get weather alerts all the time. And she got a weather alert. It was just like on a random Tuesday. Uh, mm. Conditions are great for the Northern Lights. And so she got the let's alert. Let's go. She said, let's go. So it was book a flight, get to her house, get the suitcase packed, get on a plane. And the next thing you know, we're in Yellowknife, Canada. Um, I, I, I had no winter clothes. I was wearing like a pea coat from H&M. Uh, and no. uh, so she went and bought me like winter gear. Um, and then next thing you know, we're spending the day a dog sledding to kill time, as celebrities do. Uh, and then we're... Uh, I'm just trying to picture Jacqueline Onassis on a dog sled. Uh, yeah, not so much, huh? I, well, I can see it. Movies, yeah. And but it we, would be a lot smoother adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, then we went and uh, saw the lights, and we were standing on a frozen lake. And the cool thing for me observing Carrie's life is... She really had almost every experience. She had traveled all over the world, sometimes twice mm. uh, in some places, and she, she never got to see the Northern Lights. And so it was really special to, to be there with her and watch her see something uh, where she's genuinely in awe. And that was, that was really cool. I'll never forget it. Did you always know that that moment would need to be in this book when you sat down to start writing? Or did it sort of just happen organically? Um. I hate to say, like like many experiences, I think when we're younger, we don't realize the impact that they're going to have. And uh, mm -hmm. it was a little bit like that for me also. And, and when I look back at my time with her, I think, man, I, I wish... I wish I wish I would have kept a journal. I wish every detail would be would be. Um, I wish I knew every single detail. As it is, life with her was so interesting, and everything was everything was heightened. There really were no boring moments, and because of that, like I do remember things as uh, just going to like the eye doctor as like an experience, you know, right. for fun. Um, but I but I do I do wish I would have known when these things were happening, just how significant they were. Yeah. Mm. For me, I think it was the, the, the book's written, the editor was written in five sections. Um, and the section on Martha's Vineyard um, was, is, is perhaps my favorite or was the most fun to write. Um, she did invite writers occasionally to her farm on Martha's Vineyard to work. Uh, I didn't invent that. 
Um, but uh, if I were going to write about it or write about her doing that, I sort of wanted to lean into the fantasy of that a little bit. And also because um, James, the main character in this book, is writing about his mother. So he's sort of caught between his sort of own flawed mother and then the idealized version of, of sort of America's mother in, in Jackie Kennedy or Jackie Onassis. Um, and so I thought it was really important to see her at home. What mm. would that woman look like? in a kitchen, what would she look like mm. if she kicked her shoes off and tucked her right. legs under her as she sat yeah. on the couch, you know? It was very but intimate. It was a very intimate moment yeah. that a lot of people didn't get to see. Um, what, what, is, what is that like? And, and that was the most um, fun section to write. The, the farm, her farm, uh, Redgate Farm, went on the market last year. Mm. Uh, and a, I got a lot of email and a lot of Facebook messages telling me I should buy it, with, uh, although it was $65 million. So mm. uh, just Change. anyone out there, any aspiring writers out there, I just want to make it clear that's not <laughs> generally within the salary range of a, of a novelist. Mm. Dang it. <laughs> sell more books. Sell more books. Sell more books. If wanted to buy either a Stars Board or the Editor Tonight, and let and we'll put that in the fund, yeah. the slush fund for that. Yeah. In a, in in the editor, you know, the character Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis really helps James, you know, in his relationship with his mother. And you mentioned this, you know, this this idea that you know they're both mother the female are both motherly figures. And I felt the same in um, A Star is Bored. And did this just happen for the two of you? Did you both write kind of a similar relationship with these young men and these iconic women who kind of helped them? And, and I realized it was a little different, Byron, in A Star is Bored, you know, but it re he, she really was a mother figure to him for, for many reasons that he needed. And this just sort of ha happened? I mean... Well, for me, it, it mirrored a little bit my real life relationship with Carrie. She really was mm. a, uh, a mentor to me and a, and a friend. And mm. uh, she, her presence in my life did make me feel alive and seen in a way that I didn't at the time. And, uh, and I think that we, um, we find people in life when, when we need them. And uh, we find the people who will say what we need to hear and and give yeah. us the love that we need in the moment. And I think that's what happened in real life. And that's what I tried to give Charlie uh, on the page. Mm. I think, uh, and, and for me, you know, the real lesson for James in this book is finding the beauty in, in flaws. I needed, I needed someone to, you know, who would be a complete contrast to his own mother. And, you know, working with someone as polished um, as Jackie O, it really makes him come to appreciate um, the flaws in, in his own mother. And, I, and, and that's how I, th I think that, you know, there's real beauty in our flaws and our humanity and our shared, mm. uh, you know, uh, humanity. And, and that's what's ultimately more interesting to write about. Absolutely. Well, well done, both of you. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. <clears throat> when, they, when they asked me if I would interview two authors, I thought, well, that's weird. And then I read the books and, and 
<clears throat> Pardon me. What a great idea. I mean, both of these books, I, I think everyone should read both of them back to back, actually. And, and that's just not a sales pitch for Warwick's. I mean, I really, really, truly think that. They, they're such beautiful characters. They're so heartwarming. The humanity in both of these books is just absolutely beautiful. So thank you for writing them. Oh, Yay. thank you. Thank you for all that. That's so nice. Thanks, Jennifer. Yeah. And What's that? Thanks for chatting with us. I know you have- Oh my gosh. Like yourself, my God. <laughs> Maybe yeah. also microphone. The microphone I, is yeah, like... killing it. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. right. Over at the premise, we like things to sound yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had to we had to rescue a dog out from under our ring light. So it, the level of the level of sophistication over here is not the same. I'm just glad to hear you have a ring light, and you're not backlit by a window. <laughs> oh yeah, well, perfect. Once yeah. we knew we were going to be in this for the long haul this year, there were yeah. investments made. Invest. I was just going to say, and it's so easy to do. And, you know, I hope that, you know, even when COVID is done, we can continue to meet like this and talk to authors and, you know, help readers find books. Because that's one thing that's happened with me during COVID is I've, I've had this opportunity. I was talking to Julie before. I would not have normally found these books. You know, my life was moving so fast and there was so much happening and I had a different trajectory. And, you know, I've discovered two amazing books that I'm, that I'm delighted to tell the world about. And, and I think readers have more opportunity to read. We're spending less time driving. We're spending more time kind of getting down to what we love. And, and you know, for readers, I think that's kind of a beautiful thing. And Though I do want escape, yes. but but it also like under uh, the way we buy books this year is different. I mi I miss bookstores so much because I, I I miss talking to my independent booksellers for recommendations. Mm -hmm. I miss mm -hmm. browsing. You know, there's so many great books that that you sometimes discover by accident, and and now totally because of the cover. With, you know, you have to have curbside pickup or or order through your stores uh, online. Um, now, Warwick says you have to know what you're looking for sometimes when you buy that way, and it's harder to discover new things. Oh, no, you're totally right. You're absolutely right. Which is why the death of record stores has been really awful for me. But Warwick's is open. You know, okay. they only allow a certain number uh, of people in the store. I'm coming back on the screen. I, well, Come once on. She stole that sign for We're talking about Warwick's now. We're talking about Warwick's now. I'm coming back in. <laughs> but, you know, like, I think these interviews is, is like such a better way for people like Julie, who's a curator of amazing books, to like tell people about books. So like this opportunity to to share more and discover more, I think it, there's something good that's going to come out of all of this in the long run. And we'll we'll continue this journey. Right, Julie? I agree. I think there will be, there will be, a, this, and this is coming from an events director that lives and breathes having uh, you come into the store. I, re I distinctly remember Byron standing next to the counter meeting you at Lily and the Octopus. Yeah. Um, and so I have, you know, there's, there's something about those moments that you can't recreate really. Mm -hmm. um, and when you, you know, when we, when we connected for this event, it was like, Oh yeah, we're going. <laughs> and I, you know, and those those are the things that that need to happen live. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And they uh, will again. Yeah. And they will again. Well, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jennifer, no, but I was like, I was, no. I was hearing all this Warwick stuff. It was, was like, an okay, invitation. I'm back on. <laughs> I knew you'd come back. I was. I was normally. I. I. I give more of a Julie come back, but no, yeah. I knew you'd come in, but I, I just want to thank both of you gentlemen again. Thank you so much for this conversation and for sharing your stories. And it's been really lovely. And thank you, Julie. Absolutely. Have, yeah. Do we have questions or? We um, do. Yeah. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to bring in here. Right, Jennifer, that was uh, a great conversation. Thank, thank you, you, Jennifer. 
My you pleasure. guys have, um, there's lots of people saying hi. So Cindy says a hi, Byron and hi, Steven. Nicholas says, yeah. Uh, Nicholas says hi, guys, with lots of Z's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then Amy, Amy is saying hello. Um, so there's just lots of love out there. Love yeah. the book. And Yay. then we do have a couple of questions. So Amy's got two. Her first one is, how is Brian, Byron, excuse me, Byron, how is Byron feeling? Byron's feeling great. I, uh, I had uh, testicular cancer five years ago, went away, no big deal, and then it came back. So this year, just before the book came out, I had chemo. You can see that my hair's growing back. Um, and then I had a little surgery to take out the, the mass. And now, now, I'm, now I'm all good to go, doctors say. And uh, so I'm feeling great and getting back to my normal self and running around and all the usual stuff. I'm yeah. feeling great. Thank you for asking. I'll t I will tell you that he's being moderate. Like chemo during a, a pandemic is no, is no joke. And no. mm. it's been a, you know, it's been a, a, a long year, but uh, all worth it to have him well. It was a drag, but there there were beautiful moments where I met amazing No war. People. Listen to you. No, no war. war. No war. Um, my favorite real quick was a lady at, uh, at the chemo center. I was getting chemo and she, she was getting chemo and she came up to me and was like, do you like color? And I was like, Oh no, this is a trap. What is, what's happening? And she, anyway, she knits. And so she knitted me this knit cap and oh. it, was little, it was all every color. Of every, it was a rainbow cap. And, uh, and oh. so it was just like little, little beautiful moments like that. Um, I appreciate those. Thank and that you. you have to, and that you have to kind of grab when things are going so bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? You really have. And that's like, it's, you know, I sit here some days and I think the world is literally burning around me. Yeah. I'm going to be like this lone person with my tinfoil hat trying to talk to people out at Facebook. And it's like, and then you think, why am I doing this? But it's like, if I can bring, you know, any person mm. just a little bit of light during all of this craziness around us, it's like, let's do it. Yeah. I'm into that. Until Absolutely. we flame it out. And then her next question, Amy had two questions is, what would Carrie Fisher say if she read your book? Oh, I, I think she'd be really proud of me. And <laughs> uh, I don't say that lightly, um, but she was always very supportive. Um, I, I wrote and produced a, a feature film years ago and she watched that and loved it. And I did a, a web series uh, when my first testicular cancer diagnosis came out and she tweeted about that. And so she was always supportive of, uh, of what she preached, which was take your broken heart and go make art. And, yeah. But yeah. I, think, I, think, I think she would really, I think she would really dig it. She might even say like, it wasn't uh, graphic enough. You know? <laughs> more, more sex, more violence. Like, more uh, crazy, no. bring in more crazy. <laughs> um, so Arlene says, hi to Steven, hi to Byron. Hi Arlene. Arlene. And uh, wish I was at Warwick's with you in person, as do we all. Yeah. Um, and she, but she loves seeing us here. She was there for the edit at Warwick's for the hardcover yeah. event. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Susan's from Susan's uh, all the way from Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, hey, and Susan. so she wanted to say hi. And she has a question for Byron too about his relationship with his dad. Oh, um, my dad and I are pretty close. Um, I, I love him and uh, he loves me. And uh, I think like most parents, if they could look back and make some adjustments, maybe they would. And um and so I, I think that that's a little bit him too, but the dad in the book is very different from my dad in real life. So the dad in the book is very heightened. Um, it's, uh, it's the 
darkest of dark imagination, um, that guy. And uh, thankfully, I don't really know the dad in the book. And uh, I should also say my mom, uh, so Charlie uh, in the book, his mom is dead. Um, my mom's alive. She's cool. She's fine with it. Um, so, so the, you the killed parents, me. <laughs> so the parents are, are very, uh, very different from real life. And, and all, all the characters are. Kathy is very different from how Carrie was. But, uh, but um, my dad and I have a, have a great relationship. It's funny when you write autobiographical fiction sometimes or, or fiction that, that has a kernel in, in real life because, you know, people either don't want to be written about or they see themselves very differently than you see them. Or, or sometimes they're upset that they get left. What? What? You didn't write about me? What? Right. Right. You know? yeah. Or they don't recognize themselves at all in certain characters. They'll be like, that guy was a real a-hole. And you're like, oh, that was, <laughs> you know. <That's> like, what? <laughs> Guess who that was? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Nicholas is stealing my thunder here. So Nicholas uh, is saying Stephen and Byron are the best. But um, uh, my question to you, Stephen, was can't wait for Gunkel. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. I think it's my favorite. And Lily Nautilus has a character named Byron. But I'm telling you, Gunkel is really special. It's really special. So, yeah, the Gunkel, my, my new novel out next year, May, May 2021, coming. Um, and if for anyone doesn't know what a gunkle is, it is sort of the, the sort of portmanteau for gay uncle. Uh, mm, and of uh, kind of an uncle mame kind of story. So um, really can, I, can, I, can, I, can I share for those that, that, do, go, do, that do jump into the Twitter cesspool? Can I can I tell them about the the uh, video that you have on there? Oh sure, awesome. yeah. I think it's, it's my so, I think it's my it's, pin sheet. It's so great. It's so if so, all of you out there go on to. I know Twitter. Everybody's like, ah, oh, Twitter. I mean, I have to jump in. That's it's on my Instagram one. too. If you're afraid okay. of Twitter, uh, yeah, if you're afraid of Twitter, but yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah, just yeah. A, it's just an a piece of video for the book, which I just put up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And is there a little bit of the gunkle in the editor? There is. For, the, for anybody who buys the editor paperback, the two, the first two chapters of the gunkle are in the back as a little teaser. Oh. So, um, so Nicholas and, and Amy kind of have a little bit, there's, there's kind of three different people that have asked the sort of the same question here. Um, but Amy had said also that we did an event uh, back with an author by the name of Grant Ginder. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. know yeah, Grant. Um, I adore Grant too. He's yeah. one of my favorites. But that's how she discovered your book, Stephen, because Grant recommended your book at, at his event. And wow, then cool. you, Stephen, told everybody about Byron. So, so it's all this thing. So everybody wants to know what are you guys reading and who are you recommending? Well, it's all interconnected. And if this is the Nicholas, I think it is. Uh, he has a book coming out next year, which I'm very excited about. So we'll, well maybe we'll see Nicholas on the yeah. Warwick's. Uh... <laughs> so we'll set, we'll set, we'll connect the two of you. It's all, it, it keeps going and going and going. Um, what, what, uh, well, I just, I just read um, Curtis Sittenfeld's Rodham because I was very interested to see, um, how somebody else handled uh, working a first lady into into fiction. And uh, for me, I, I loved Heart of Junk by Luke Geddes, which is about a um, antique mall and all the different characters there and, and drama that they have to endure. And it actually reminded me a little bit about Carrie because she loved when we got to a new city to go to uh, crazy stores and antique malls that they had it, the bigger, the weirder, the better. Um, so I, I really loved that. I thought it was touching and humorous and uh, 
and uh, a great fun week. Excellent. Um, and then he also wants to know, can there be a branded caftan for each of your books? Ah, <laughs> we should. There should be. I'm going to well, say, yeah, once you, once you read the Gunkel, uh, you'll realize you'll need to, you'll need to be wearing a caftan, uh, <laughs> while reading. Yeah. While sure. reading. Well, we have taken up way more of your time than we had anticipated, but it was such a great interview and it was it's so fun so to talk fun. to you. It's been so fun. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you Absolutely. saved us from having to talk to each other tonight. Well, yeah, and, and yeah, and that's, you know, that's and another thing. seven months into this quarantine. Oh, right? Brutal, let me tell you. There's no, no homicide detectives coming to Palm Springs, okay? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. um, no. So, uh, Jennifer, for people out there who want to follow the premise or find more info about you, how should they do that? Okay. You can listen to all of our Warwick's interviews and more on the premise at the festival website, San Diego Writers Festival.com. And you can follow the premise on Twitter at Pod Premise. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jennifer Grace. Excellent. Jennifer! Yay, Jennifer. <laughs> and then Byron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can and only find me on Warwick. If I could excited. just say, Please, please, please support your independent bookstores. We need them to survive this crisis. Many of them are hurting. um, And it means so much. Independent bookstores create jobs. They help the local economy. You know, if you order a book from your local independent store, it's really going to help them weather this. Um, Start your holiday shopping if you need to. Um, Buy a gift certificate. There are lots of ways to help your independent bookstore. And that's the thing that I think, thank you, Stephen, because it is true. And it's one of those things that we try to be positive about it. But the fact of the matter is business is down. We know that we're in the middle of a pandemic. We know there's a financial crisis. But for people who are going to buy a book, buy it from an independent bookstore. It doesn't have to be Warwick's, but for God's sakes, you don't need to have it. Because it, here's the thing that I always kind of crack up at. It's like, do you really need to have that book show up at your door the next day? Is that No, really it's like? not good for the planet. I yeah, exactly. Amen to that. You yeah. want an <laughs> army of drones dropping books from the sky. Like, that's, oh. not, that's not a good thing. That's not <laughs> and a good it's thing. like, there's I, as much as I love both of your books, it's like, I don't know if I have to sit at my front door waiting for it to get there <laughs> in 24 hours. Yeah, there are other things you can read for sure. Exactly. But I listen, it does somewhere. It does show up quickly though. I order I order books from Warwick's and it yeah. takes a couple days and right. I could drive 20 minutes and pick it up. And if I lived in La Jolla, you'd bring it to me at the beach. Exactly. Uh, so it would get better so than we, that. We would. So that's so yes. Yeah. So um thank you for that plug. So for you guys, Byron, do you dabble in that social media world very often? Yeah, it's mostly, um, I'm on on Twitter at Byron Lane, Facebook at Byron Lane, I have a website, ByronLane.com, and then my Instagram is ByronLane.com, D-O-T-C-O-M, because some other guy took Byron Lane. Damn him. Damn him. (laughs) Can't win everything. And I'm pretty much everywhere at Mr. Stephen Rowley, or... Mrs. Tevin Rowley, which someone tried to say, why is your name, why is it, um, no, it's Mr. Steven <laughs> Rowley. Really? You can't, so and, and that person votes. Life is so complicated. Is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that person votes, hard. for God's sakes. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Anyways, um, it's been so much fun. Thank oh. you for being here. Thank you everybody on Facebook for watching and, um, Till the next books, guys. Yeah, Thank we'll you. keep writing. I mean, what else do we have to do? I know. Yeah, so. right? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. This has been a Warwick's sponsored interview. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>